Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. Let me give you a window into the Harris house, the Harris family. You know, we do these amazing things as a family. If you see the Harris's, you get one Harris, you get all of us, man. We do these ministry events, we pray, we do all the stuff. But we also try to, to keep a happy, healthy family, which means we do our stuff on the outside as long, and also your stuff. So it's the season, it's the time. So I don't know who it was. Somebody thought it'd be a great idea. It may have been Robin to on, you know, not this Saturday, but the Saturday before, get tickets to the Millbourne Orchard. Because we thought nobody's going to be at the orchard <laughs> on October the 22nd, right before Halloween. So we're there at the orchard with about 750,000 of our closest friends. We, 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 that's just like, that place is just like a license to print money. You know that, right? You pay money to get in, and all they do, they got a guy in the back waffing that donut smell in the air with those applesauce donuts. So I brought extra insulin because I knew what was ahead of me. I'm a diabetic. We got in there. We had, we had the, 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 the donuts. How many of you like those donuts? We had the, uh, the kettle corn fresh. Can I get a witness? We had apples. Isn't it funny? They use apples to, to fling at things. Nobody eats those unless you put them in them donuts, right? There's funnel cake. I had ice cream. I ate everything. If it was not chained to the ground, I ate it. And we had a great time. We're doing stuff because we're having all the holiday cheer. So then we go and we go on these, um, these hay rides. Have you been on the hay rides? So we're on the hay ride and everything's great. We're on a little thing and, and, and we're, we're passing another, another ride, another wagon. And as we pass... At the last minute, the guy that's on ours, he goes, now guys, get ready, because every once in a while, as the wagons pass each other, they have this little hay fight, and I look up, and like three people on the other wagon go, yeah, and I was like, that's weak. So it got me thinking, if we're going to do this, let's just do this. So I organized the whole, <laughs> the whole wagon. I guess I can't stop leading. I organized the whole wagon. I go, listen, guys, I've seen Pirates of the Caribbean 1 through 17. I know what, what, what warfare looks like when you're passing like ships in the night. This is what we're going to do. You know, they're on that side. We're over here. I said, you guys in the front, the direct ones, you're going to be the first volley. So you grab your hay, and when we pass, I'm going to go, now! And you throw, and then you duck. And then we stand up in the second, and I go, now! And we throw the second volley. I said, and then you guys are grabbing hay while you're down there, and if you're lucky, you'll get a third shot off. I said, and we, this is our goal. We want to go down in history as the greatest hayride they've ever seen. I want kids to have to go to therapy when we get done because of the hay. Thank you. It's a meager goal. It's a meager goal. So we get ready and we play coy and we can see the other wagon coming up toward us and everybody's just real quiet and I'm like, wait for it. Steady. Right? And these guys, I don't know if the guy didn't tell them what was about to happen on the other side of the wagon. They're, they're having fun. They're looking at the trees. They have no idea what's about to rain down on them. None. So we get right up on them, and I scream, now! And the, the first thing they get, they go, ah! Then I go, next! And we step and go, ah! And kids are screaming, ah! It looks like a, like a World War II film. It's crazy. Honest to God. Is that, Toby, is that not what happened? It was, dare I say, glorious. 
So we're going past them, and we're high-fiving, and we're cheering, and the kids are shaking, and it's great. In fact, we got off the wagon, and then there's like a little thing where you're shooting apples and stuff, and you can see the other, the other wagon coming in, and there were like twigs in people's hair, and they're like, what happened? I don't know. It was terrible. It was great. And it was like the greatest thing ever. And I was like, I wonder if they're going to talk. I wonder if they go, you want the workers to talk about it later. Did you see that group? They were awesome. And I thought to myself this. You know, what made that so much fun was that other wagon had no idea what was coming. And we smeared them. How often do we realize that the greatest thing that the enemy has, the greatest attack that he has, is our lack of understanding of what his schemes are and what his plans are. The enemy loves to pull on you a sneak attack. Beloved, don't forget this. The enemy hates you. He hates everything about you. He hates your family. Why does he hate you so much? Because you're made in the image of his enemy. The image of God. And you know this as well as I do. If the enemy can't get to God, the next best thing is taking out his children. And you're his child. We are his sons and we're his daughters. So for us, the entire month, we've been talking about what it looks like for us as a church to figure out the schemes of the enemy and to actually do what God wants us to do. One of the reasons that Jesus came to die for us so that we could actually respond to the enemy and be effective. I've told you this before, beloved, sometimes we forget. The God empowered, God empowered and entrusted the church to repel the forces of darkness here. It's not just his job in heaven. It's not just the job of the angels. God gave us that authority. When God spoke to Peter, when Jesus spoke to Peter, and Peter understood who he was, he says, you're Christ, you're the Son of God. Jesus looked Peter dead in the eye and he says, Peter, upon this knowledge, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't stand against it. The last I checked, gates are stationary. Which means this, the church is supposed to be on the move. We're the ones that push back the darkness. And we don't just wait for the darkness to come to us. We go and push back the darkness and save as many people as possible. That's just what we do. That's what the church does. And God has given us everything we need to pull that thing off. Don't forget, I don't know how many times you heard me say this. Church is the hope of the world. Last I checked. The church is a people, not a place. You're the church. God has empowered us. So this whole month we've been talking about what it means for us as the church to do that. You can't do that as a church unless you're willing to move into spiritual areas, stranger things. So we talked about we do live in a spirit realm. And a few weeks ago we looked at the enemy, who he is, where Satan came from. We looked at demons and how they operate and what God has given us to protect ourselves against them. Today we take another step. And we look at this. God did not call us to fight these spiritual battles alone. He's given us not just tools. He's also given us mighty allies. So today we look at our two great allies. Angels and the advocate. Powerful, powerful things. Who's the advocate? That's the Holy Spirit. That's God himself. But let's start with angels. What are angels? When you look at the word angel, the Greek word, excuse me, the Hebrew word for angel is malak, which actually means this, messenger. 
Now, when you think of that word messenger, you might think of somebody like a mailman that gets you the mail, but that's not what was inferred in the Hebrew. What was inferred is, is this. It's someone who speaks or acts in the place of the one who sent them. So it would be more like an ambassador than a mailman. So that means this. Angels aren't just glorified male people. They don't just deliver information. They are sent on assignment and fully empowered to do the will of God. Angels are sent on assignment and they're fully empowered to do the will of God. Does that sound familiar? It should. So are you empowered, sent on assignment to do the will of God. That's what we do. That's what angels do. So what are some things that we need to know about angels? First is this. Angels are created. Angels are not the next step in our evolutionary process. I'm sorry. We don't like, you know, die and then we become angels. And I know that's a comforting thought for us, but the Bible doesn't support that. You know, angels are created beings. You know, Patrick Swayze, and I know, you know, not only could he make pottery, but someday he goes up and he's the, he guard, you know, that just, he could be a beautiful man. It just doesn't work like that. They're created beings. They're created for a purpose and they're created by God. Nehemiah 9, 6 says this, you, the Lord, you are the Lord alone. You've made heaven and the heavens of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that's on it, the seas and all that's in them. And you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. So the host of heaven is, is an angel. They're the angels, and God created them. We know this. We know that they minister for God. God deploys angels to minister and to help us. Hebrews 1.14 says this. Angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for those who will inherit salvation. Do you know who those that will inherit salvation are? It's us. We also know this. You know, angels came to minister to Jesus. When he was tested in the desert, the Bible tells us this in Matthew 4.11. Then the devil took him, oh, then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and they were ministering to him. We know this, angels are messengers. They also do deliver messages. They tell us things. One of the greatest stories of that is the story of Jesus' birth. In Luke 1.26, it says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Verse 28, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed. How many of you believe if an angel showed up in your house today, you may be confused and disturbed? You're in good company. So is Mary, mother of God, right? Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus. He'll be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him a th uh, the throne of his ancestor David, and he'll reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. So they send messages. So you're telling me, Pastor TJ, that God can send angels to give you a message. Yes, he can. Now here's the catch. God sends an angel to speak something to you, the message that it gives you has to be in alignment with the Word of God. If it's not, it's not from God. It's very simple. We've had other people that have experienced angelic visitations where angels have told them to do things different than what God has. That's not from God. Demons masquerade as angels of light. 
So what is our compass? It's the Word of God. It's just the Word of God. So have you ever wondered, why don't we experience more of those supernatural encounters? Do you know why? Because most of us don't live our lives open to the supernatural. We like things that are practical. We like things that we can explain. How many of you know that you cannot explain God? You can try. The second you figure God out, he ceases to be God. You have to shrink him into a box of your understanding. When you do that, then he ceases to be God. You have to be open to the supernatural nature of who God is. I remember years ago, my, uh, my Uncle John Sarandis and my Aunt Goldie, they were from Greece. My Uncle John was about that tall. He was a Greek bodybuilder and a painter. And he had a very thick Greek accent. Like, he would say things that were funny and weird. Like what we would call coconuts, he would call coconuts. Because he was weird. <laughs> and he did not speak a good English. So um, one day, he believed my Aunt Goldie was cheating on him. So he decided to follow my Aunt Goldie. She would go to these meetings to talk about Jesus. So he decided to follow her one day. So in Pittsburgh, they got this place called Soldiers and Sailors Memorial Hall. And if you've ever been there or not, it's a big venue. seats probably about 5,000 people. So my, my Uncle John followed my Aunt Goldie to the Soldiers and Sailors Memorial Hall because she was going to see this lady called Catherine Kuhlman. I don't know if you're familiar with Catherine Coleman. She moved in miracles. So my Aunt Goldie was about five rows from the front. My Uncle John was safely about 20 rows behind her. And he sat there observing her, ready to catch my Aunt Goldie in the act. So he sat there, and my Uncle John says it was the weirdest thing. This lady, Catherine Coleman, walked out. And the second she walked out, my Uncle John fell down. He got up immediately, and he says, he goes, who hit me? Who hit me? He goes, and I looked around. I'm from his story. He says, I saw white hair all around me of little old ladies. He thought, none of these women could have knocked me out. <laughs> then Catherine Coleman walked back again, and my Uncle John fell down again. Next time he gets up, he's a little nervous now, so he decides to run out of the building. He goes to his car. My Uncle John drove this big blue Lincoln Continental. I still remember it. It's crazy. The glove compartment was a little bar. He poured himself a drink, went to drink it to calm his nerves. He spit it out because the liquor tasted like vinegar. His words. Then he decided to light up a big stogie. He used to smoke these cigars like 12, 12, like 12 foot long. He could not get it lit. He decided, I'm going to go back in. There's something weird's happening. He goes into the meeting, goes back to his seat. In front of him is a lady that's sitting there. She's a mangled hand that's stuck to her chest. He said it was the weirdest, grossest thing you've ever seen. She couldn't straighten it out. It was like this. He goes, in that moment, I heard this woman, Catherine Coleman, say, God is healing somebody's hand right now. He said, I heard the pops in her hand. I heard her scream, and I watched her hand become straight and whole. And I looked at his uncle, John, what did you do? He, says, he goes, I ran to the front. He says, because I don't know what happened. He goes, I, I, I need to get something fixed right now. He runs past my Aunt Goldie to my front. My Aunt Goldie's like, what is going on? He gives his heart to Jesus that day. So my Uncle John was encountered with, with the supernatural. He encountered it. Anytime we do, we have a decision to make. You can embrace it. Or you can leave it. Sometimes those decisions 
changed the course of your Christianity, your faith. Your faith was designed to have supernatural elements to it. You can be supernatural and not be weird. You can. Be supernatural. Why not? Have you ever thought about that? Why not you? Why can't God touch your family like that? Why can't God heal somebody you love from cancer? Why can't God straighten out a, 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 a deformed hand? He can. Step out. Back to angels. We know this about angels. They intervene in our situations. What does that mean? God will deploy his angels to help us. We see that in the New Testament. We see that with Peter. Peter's thrown in prison. God decides that he doesn't want Peter in prison. He can just, from his throne, blink or do whatever he wants to do in this release Peter from prison, but he decides to send an angel to do the work. This is Acts 5.19. It says, during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So they intervene. We know this is about angels. Angels protect. God will deploy his angels to protect you. We see this in Daniel. When Daniel, you know, defies the, uh, the king's decree and he prays and, and, and the king throws him into the lion's den, we see angels are sent to intervene on Daniel's behalf. Daniel 6.22 says this, My God sent his angel and he shut them out, the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Psalm 91.11 says this, For he'll order his angels to protect you wherever you go. We know this is about angels. They're not designed to be worshipped, but they, like you and I, worship the Creator. That's what they do. Revelation 5.11 says this, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. They worship. We know this about angels. They're not these chunky little baby things with diapers that shoot arrows into your heart. We know they don't sit on clouds eating cream cheese, even though cream cheese is delicious. Right? We know this. They fight. They're warriors. Revelation 12, 7 through 9 says this. Then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. I read this and I think, you threw the devil down to the earth. Thanks. You deal with him. I'm tired of dealing with him. Thanks, Lord. You know, that's great. We know this. Again, and this is weird, but it's just what the Bible says. We know that there's a spirit realm around us, and we know that Angels are fighting in that realm. It's a great example of that in Daniel. Have you ever prayed and you're like, Lord, you know, God hasn't answered your prayer yet. You're like, God, what's going on? Sometimes we pray and we don't get an answer because the answer is no. Sometimes we pray and we won't get an answer yet because it's not time. Sometimes there are other things at work that we don't understand. And Daniel talks about this. Daniel prayed for something and his his prayer was heard immediately, but the response took time because of the spiritual battle. Daniel 10, 12 says this. Then he asked, don't be afraid, Daniel, this is the angel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding, to humble yourselves before God, your request was heard, has been heard in heaven. I've come to answer your prayer. Look at verse 13. 
But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me and left me there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I'm here to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for this vision uh, concerns a time yet to come. Are you saying that Michael and one of the spirit princes were duking it out in the heavens? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Where did you find that out? In the Bible. It's in your Bible app. It's in the 30-pound you know, coffee table Bible. You know the real pretty one, the white one that sits on your, your grandmother's uh, coffee table? You need two hands to open it? It's in there. They fight. We know this. We know that angels have a free will, just like me and you. They've been given that beautiful gift. They've been given that terrible gift. 2 Peter 2.4 says this, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell uh, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment, they have a free will just like us. With your free will, you can aid like Mother Teresa. With your free will, you can wage war on the planet like Hitler. It's your choice. What will you do with it? With your free will, you can lead your family well. With your free will, you can be selfish, self-centered, and do your own thing. What will you do with it? It's a beautiful and terrible gift. We know this about angels. They're a diverse group. When you think of angels, what do you think of? Do you think of like Valentine's Day? You know, some of you are like, please, Cupid, hit me with that arrow. Cupid, pull back your bow, right? And some of you are like, don't you dare hit me again with that stupid arrow. You know, love stinks. Yeah, yeah, right? Some of you think of those cream cheese commercials when you think of angels. Some of you think of Patrick Swayze. And I, right? What do angels look like? Well, you see the Bible, you know, tells us this. They come in all shapes and sizes. In fact, sometimes angels even look like us for God's purposes. Hebrews 13, 2 says this. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. You know, you may have entertained an angel with your kindness, with your goodness. You know, sometimes God will deploy angels to do that just to show you what's inside of you. They will. Be open. Be aware. Now, the Bible specifically tells us about certain types of angels. The Bible tells us about one type, seraphim. They're the least mentioned angels in the Bible. They're only found in Isaiah. That word translated seraphim actually means this, fiery or burning ones. How many of you know that's a pretty, that's a tough sounding angel? I don't know if I want to tangle with an angel called fiery or burning one, Right? You run into a guy at the party. What's your name? Fiery burning one. Really? I'll see you later. Bye. I'll be here next to the nacho plate, right? This is Isaiah's description of the seraphim. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each has six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Do not mess with the seraphim. They're tough. Now we have another class of angels that the Bible mentions. Cherubims. These are the ones that are mentioned the most. What are cherubims? These are the, these are the warrior angels. These are the ones that are sent on assignment. We see them sprinkled through scripture. 
Genesis 3.24 says this about Adam and Eve after they, they had fallen and eaten the fruit. It says, after he drove the man out of the garden, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Pretty tough. Ezekiel 10.20 says this, these were the living creatures that I saw underneath the God of Israel by the Chabar Canal, and I knew that they were cherubim. Each had four faces, each had four wings, and underneath their wings, uh, the likeness of human hands. We know this about cherubim. Lucifer was a cherubim. The Bible tells us in Ezekiel 28, 14, you were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you, and you were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. Cherubim are pretty tough. And we have another class of angels. We're not sure what they are. But the Bible refers to them as, as, as archangels. The Bible talks, we know there's more than one. There's only one that's really mentioned because the Bible talks about them in plurality. But the actual Greek for this means chief angel. Now the only directly named chief angel or archangel that we know in the Bible is Michael. There's two references to him made in the New Testament. First is in Jude 1.9 It says this, But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him, for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, I'm not going to talk to you about Moses' body and all that other stuff. That's another week. We also know this, that, you know, God will also deploy the archangel again um, for certain instances. We understand this, that God will deploy them over nations. Daniel 12, 1 says this, at that time, Michael, the archangel, who stands guard over your nation, over your nation, will arise. Our nations have angels that, that watch over us, that stand for us. But how does it work? What does it smell like? What does it look like? Ready for this? I don't know. We just know that it's in there. We also know that Michael is the head of the armies of heaven, the warrior angel. It says this in Revelation 12, 7. Then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. Now, there's other angels that are, or that, are, that are mentioned in the Word. We know about Gabriel. Gabriel seems to be the chief, the chief messenger angel. You know, he's the one that God you know, sends when he's got to get a message to one of his people, and it's got to be right. How many of you have children? How many of you know that if you've got to get that message sent correctly, not every one of your children can do that? Right? You pick the one that can deliver the message the way it needs to, because every once in a while you send a message and I, I didn't say that. Yes, you did. Right? Have you ever had that experience? Now, I'm not saying the angels are like that, but Gabriel's really good at delivering God's messages. We see that again, um, you know, in, in scriptures, especially with the, the announcement of the birth of Christ. Now, the Bible never mentions Gabriel as an archangel, but we kind of view him as that. We know that, you know, he said in Luke 1.19, you know, the angel was sent, and he says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. We see that again, that Gabriel doesn't just hang out in the New Testament, but he's also part of the message system of the Old Testament. Daniel 9.21 says this, While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man that I had seen in an earlier vision, came to me uh, in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have come now to give you insight and understanding. So God uses Gabriel to do those things. We know this about angels. Angels are different than humans. God created the angels, and he created us. Hebrews 2.6 says this. For in one place the scripture says, What are mere mortals that you should think about them, or the son of man that you should care for him? 
Yet for a little while you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. We know that right now mankind is made a little lower than the angels, but we understand at some point we don't become angels. We actually will judge angels. 1 Corinthians 6.3 says this, Don't you realize that you'll judge angels? And again, he's talking about because for whatever reason, the church of Corinth couldn't get along. He says, so you should surely be able to resolve your ordinary disputes in this life. So the next time you get in an argument with somebody, remember, hey, we're supposed to judge angels. We can figure out where we want to eat, you know, where we want to go to eat for lunch on Sunday. We can figure out who took what and what they did with it, right? That's what angels do. Um, again, we have to make sure that, 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 that we understand that there's a function of angels. Now, as, as believers, I don't think we really need to know how they function, what the hierarchy of heaven looks like. Um, but we just need to understand that, that they're allies there and that God can deploy them for us. And they're an amazing ally, but it's not just the angels that give us what we need to accomplish the task that God's given us. We have another more powerful ally, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, God himself. Who is the advocate? Well, look at John 14, 26. It tells us. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. That's the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? Now, you know, you're sitting right now at Trinity Community Church. Trinity is the understanding of this. God is three persons. Same essence, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We talk all the time about God the Father. Some of you grew up in church and it was Father Abraham had many sons, had many sons, and I am one of them. You have Father Abraham who's patterned after Father God and everything's great. And then we talk about Jesus Christ. He came, he died for our sins, he was nailed to a cross, he rose again. And all of our songs about Jesus, Jesus and they should be, he's great. I'm a fan. But the Holy Spirit sometimes is the tag along. Because we don't know what to do with him. I remember growing up in the Greek Orthodox Church, we didn't call the advocate the Holy Spirit. We called him the Holy Ghost. You want to scare a chunky seven-year-old Greek kid? Talk about a ghost that's supposed to be in your house. I remember the cantors would sing, Holy Ghost, and I'm like, no! The only ghost I want to talk to is Casper. Casper, the friendly ghost. Remember that? Because he was like me, man. He liked to eat and just hang out. We had a similar shape, too. I didn't want to talk about ghosts. And we didn't talk about it. We named it. We didn't talk about it because we didn't understand it. So who is the Holy Spirit? Well, know this. First, the Holy Spirit just doesn't, you know, tell the will of God. He is God. He is part of the Trinity. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, you're talking about God. Acts 5.3 says this. And again, this is a very interesting story. The early church, one of the first things that happened, God started to do incredible things. People started to get saved. It was nuts. Well, there was a family that had a piece of land, and they decided to sell it, and they wanted to give it to the church. But they did this crazy thing. They had the land, and they, they sold it, and they gave money to the church, but they told the church that they were given a certain amount because that's what they got for the land, but they, they got something, they got more money for the land. Now, what was crazy about this was this. God didn't care what they gave. You know, they could have sold the land for $10 and said, we're just going to give $8, and God would have been fine with that. But what they did was they lied about it. 
So this is the account in Acts 5.3. It says, Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. After selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do such a thing like this? You were lying. Uh, you weren't lying to us, but to God. You connect in that passage, God is the Holy Spirit. So we know that he's a part of the Trinity. We know he's part of God. We know this. The Holy Spirit was, was there at creation. He was there at the very beginning. Genesis 1-2 says this. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now we know this. Not only was the Holy Spirit there during creation, but he was part of the active process of who we are, the creation of who we are. Genesis 1.26 says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. Let us, God said, let us make, mine in our, make mankind in our image. Us means that there's more. It's relational. I mean, let's just be real. You know, if you're standing in line at the, at the Wawa all by yourself, and, and you ask for a coffee, if you say, let us have a coffee with cream, sugar, you know, and Splenda, if you're using us on yourself, we have pills for that. Right? There's somebody else in there. Hello, who am I talking to? Hello. Unless you've got a mouse in your pocket, something else is going on, right? So this tells us about the Trinity. It says, let us make mankind our own likeness. So they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. We know this, the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. Now, I love the Mandalorian, Grogu, Luke Skywalker. I grew up on Luke Skywalker. I love all that stuff. And I love the force. I love the force. The Holy Spirit's not a force. He's a person. He's God. This is what John 16, 13 says. When the spirit of truth comes, he, everybody say he. He, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He's a person. We know this. The Holy Spirit, because he is God, he is the heart and the mind of God. 1 Corinthians 2.10 says this. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. We know this, the Holy Spirit being a person means that he experiences emotion. Do you know that God is emotional? You and I are created in his image. You are created with emotion. Why? Because the creator experiences emotion. It's so funny to me. We come into church, and the first thing we do is we put our emotions on the shelf. Some of you, last night, were screaming at your TV because the Phillies were on the struggle bus as they, be, you know, as they lost to the Astros last night. Right? And then you came in this morning, and you're like, we've got to be very quiet because I don't want to draw any attention to myself because if I can just make it out of here alive without a lightning bolt hitting me, we'll just call it a good day. Some of you... In a few hours, we'll be watching the Philadelphia Eagles play the Pittsburgh Steelers. Let me just say this right now. Do not call me. Do not text me as your team 
beats up on the lowly stealers. And I will do my best if the tables seem to turn to not call you. <laughs> to not rib you. Now, I may fail in that endeavor, but I'm going to try. Don't leave your emotions on the shelf. Do you know that when, when we do things contrary to the heart of God, the emotion that he feels is not anger, it's not mad, it's not hate. Do you know the emotion that he feels? Sorrow. How many of you, when you have your child, and you see your child walk down a path that you don't intend for them to walk down to, and they experience pain, and they experience brokenness. As parents, we don't experience anger and vengeance. What is the emotion that you experience? Sorrow, pain. That's what God feels when we walk that way. Don't forget, God feels emotions just like we do. Ephesians 4.30 says this, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. It doesn't say don't bring judgment to your life. Don't bring sorrow. Don't break God's heart like that. It says, remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you'd be saved on the day of redemption. That's who God is. Now, very quickly, what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? First thing he does is this. When he comes into your life, he changes everything. Changes it all. I remember we had our church in, uh, in Illinois. We had a couple, and this one lady was just amazing. They started coming to the church. She came to my office one day. She goes, Pastor, don't take this the wrong way. Your office is terrible. I said, thank you. Get out. She goes, if you trust me, I will make your office fabulous. Now, I don't care about having a fabulous office. I need it functional, and I want it comfortable, which means this. I'd like a little Greek paraphernalia in there somewhere. Perhaps a Sasquatch looking behind a book? I don't know. But I trusted this lady. I said, if you can make it look fabulous, you make it look fabulous. She came into my office, took about two days, and I came in, and she changed everything. My desk was like facing the wall. A chair was out. Everything was nuts. And I was like, what are you doing? She goes, what did you expect? You gave me permission, and I just changed everything. It was weird as this. First, I hated it. I didn't know what to do with it because I didn't know where anything was at. But after a while, it was better. And I felt much more bougie. Is that a word, bougie? Did I use that right? Did I use that right? <laughs> the kids are always teaching me words. I don't know. I just learned yeet, and I love it. It's a great word. So when God comes into your life, everything changes. Trust him. So the first thing he does is he brings us new life. He changes everything. Romans 8.10 says this, but if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, uh, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. He gives you new life. The Holy Spirit teaches us. The Bible says in John 14, 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. We know that the Holy Spirit guides us. John 16, 13 says this, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. By the way, who is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way the, and the life. That means this, the Holy Spirit always points you to Jesus. 
If the Holy Spirit doesn't point you to Jesus, it's not the Holy Spirit. He points you to the truth. He won't speak on his own, but he'll tell you what he's heard and he'll tell you what about the future. We know this. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. It says this. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't even know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows uh, all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads with us for believers in harmony with God's own will. By the way, here's a little side note. The goal for us as believers when you pray is to pray in harmony with God's will. That means you figure out what God wants to do and then you pray for it because if you pray in harmony with God's will, it's blessed and it'll happen. Well, you know what we do sometimes? We pray for God to bless things that aren't part of the harmony of his will. And he doesn't answer us. You see, God doesn't answer us. He doesn't even, he wants you to pray specifically for, for what's on his heart, not just yours. The next time you pray, before you start anything, just shut your eyes and say, Lord, put my heart in alignment with yours and help me to pray for the things that you want me to pray for. And then you're gonna, this is going to be crazy, ready? I want you, you'll have to do this. And you'll have to do this. This is sign language for shut up. It's not sign language. This is, this is Greek language. Shut up and listen. Shut up and listen. Listen to what God tells you. And you know what? Pray that and see what happens. Pray that and see what happens. We know this. The Holy Spirit transforms us. This is great. As believers, oh, sometimes we actually believe that we're the ones that transform ourselves, and you can't. And we get frustrated because we can't do it. And we don't know what to do. Do you know that it's not your job to change yourself? You can't. All you can do is position yourself so the Spirit has full reign in your life to transform you and make you new. That's all you can do. You have to be yielded to the Spirit. If you're yielded to the Spirit, God starts that transformation process in your heart. It's true. And then fruit comes. Galatians 5.22 and 23 says this, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Some of you are here today and you're trying to transform yourself and you are failing. The best we can do apart from the Holy Spirit is sin management. Do you know what that is? Try not to do the things that you do. So this is usually our approach. Don't cuss, don't cuss, don't cuss, don't cuss. Nuts! Oh, I cussed. Just like dieting. How many of you like to diet? Right? Now, some of you are like, I don't have to diet. That's a lie. So when you, when you diet, what's the only thing you think about? Don't think about the food. Don't think about the food. Cheeseburger! Right? Sin management. Let me tell you, this is how transformation from the Holy Spirit, this is how it happens. So again, this is another little thing I got from, from the orchard. So while we were on the conquering hayride, or if you're on the other wagon, it was the hayride of, of shock and awe. We're going past the, uh, through the apple orchard, and, and the guy's talking about the apple stuff, and, and the weird thing happens. They have these little dwarf apple trees. And the guy says this, this amazing thing happens. You know, for the trees, the trees have, you know, they have the right sun. The, the, the ground is... is, is is, is, is full of nutrients. They get plenty of water. 
So what happens then is, is, is these, these apple trees, they start to, to bloom flowers. They have blossoms, apple blossoms. And they look absolutely beautiful. But that's only part of the process. You can see the tree looks great. The tree blossoms are beautiful, but there's still no fruit. So then they got to do this thing. This is nuts. You ready for this? The, the, is it Milbourne? Is that what it's called, Milbourne? Milbourne, they, they rent bees. They don't buy them. Maybe they're too expensive. I don't know. They're, so how do you return rented bees? <laughs> you ever thought about that? Okay, you rented 17,000 bees. We only have 15,423. Where are the other ones? I don't know. Somewhere. I don't know. They rent bees, and this is what the bees do. The bees pollinate the flowers, and after the pollination, these apple trees move from blossom to fruit. Before the pollination, the trees look great, but they don't have any fruit. After the trees are pollinated, they produce fruit. There's nothing in the tree, nothing, that goes, okay, I have flowers, but now I need fruit, so let me see. How am I going to get fruit? I know. One, two, three. <laughs> the tree can't make itself produce fruit. So the Holy Spirit does in us. The Holy Spirit, you know, we can look great on the outside, but you only go so far. When the Holy Spirit enters our life and you're yielded to the Holy Spirit, it's like being pollinated by the DNA of God. God comes in, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, we're yielded, and because of that pollination, you start to produce fruit. As believers, yielded to the Holy Spirit, you can't help it, you will produce fruit. Sometimes we, we, we just go about it the wrong way. We think about all the stuff we need to remove. Think about it this way. Be so yielded to God and so open to the Spirit of God that there's so much fruit in your life, bad things don't have any place to grow. The works of the flesh don't have any place to grow. There's no room for them to grow because you are flooded with fruit. Be yielded. Be pollinated by the Holy Spirit. Let Him start that process. Does that make sense? Another thing that the Holy Spirit does in us, He enables us. Don't you hate it when somebody has you do an impossible task that you cannot pull off because you don't have the right tools? I'm a tool guy. I like, to, uh, I like new projects, not to do the project, but to acquire a new tool. <laughs> we were doing some stuff for Family Fest, and I, I told Robin, I said, I, I think I need a nail gun, but not like a cheap one. I need one that's a DeWalt one that's on the 20-volt system because that's what I need. So I think she said, go for it, or she said something like, I'm going to bed. I don't know. And I, and, I, and I bought it. And the funny thing was this. It showed up after the stuff we had to build, you know, after we built it. So I said, do you send it back? And I said, no, there'll probably be another project, right? So I'll, I'll do it. So you need the right tool for the right job. You know, it's hard to, to do the electrical work with a butter knife. You can do it. Some of you have done it. A little scary. People die. But you know, some of you have done it. So God asks us to do this little job. Ready for this? The job is this. We are, um, we're called to reconcile people to God. We're called to change the world. God didn't just give you the assignment, but he gave you the tools to do it. This is not a natural task. This is a supernatural task. Which means in the toolbox he gave you are supernatural tools. Do you use them? 
Do you open up the box and grab them, or do you just say, ah, they're weird, I don't know how to use them? Remember the first time you had to start using things? That's weird, I don't like it. Some of you, you, you lose your mind every time Facebook changes their little format. I saw somebody lose their mind because I'm not making this up. I didn't even realize this. Before, your face used to be in the center of your page. Now it's to the left. Did you notice that? They, people are like, they're like banning Facebook. I want my face back in the center. I'm like, are you out of your mind? They're new tools. So what are the tools that God's given us to accomplish the spiritual task? I'm glad you asked. 1 Corinthians 12 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives. I just love that phrase. Do you know that you've been given special abilities by the Spirit? The question is, will you use them? I don't want you to, be, to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of all of them. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's all the same God who works them and all of us. Verse 7, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to have advice or wisdom. To another, the Spirit gives the message of special knowledge. The same person gives great faith to another, and someone else, he gives the Spirit of the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in an unknown language, while another is given the ability to interpret what is said. It's the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. It's in there. So anytime you see stuff like this, you have a decision to make. Is it real or not? How many of you believe that the Bible is the Word of God? It's in there. If you were to go to stay to Days in today and you were to open the, the, the nightstand and you were to pull out a Gideon Bible, do you know that 1 Corinthians 12, 7 is in there? Do you know if you were to go to the Catholic Church and there was a Bible there, if you were to pick it up, you know 1 Corinthians 12, you know it's in there. You know that 30-pound coffee table Bible that it takes you? You know, go, next time you go to Aunt Martha's house, go there and then get your buddies and open up that thing to Ephesians because it's, it's way in there. It's a heavy, heavy book. And you open up, it's in there. So what are you going to do with it? But I don't understand. Why would God put that in there? You're in a spiritual battle. God sent you to save people. So he gives you spiritual things to combat the enemy. Use them. So yesterday, I'm, I must have said, I must have asked this question to 100 people. Hey, did you guys have fun at Family Fest? And almost all the kids were like, yeah! And all the parents were like, ugh. Especially the grandparents. They were on the struggle bus. Next year, I think we're going to do like a little like a, a golf cart that you could ride people to their cars in because that walk up that hill is terrible, right? There was one family in the top, and there was a bunch of little kids, and there was mom and, and dad and stuff like that, and the mom was a kind of a bigger, gruff lady. I said, hey, do you guys have fun? We go, yeah. And the lady goes, oh, we had a great time. We had a great time. These effing kids had a great time, and I'm going to beat all these effing kids. And, and she started yelling and screaming, and I watched the kids cower. I watched the husband go, ah, but that poor man. And it was weird. In that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He says, I want you to say this. I'm like, I ain't saying this to that lady. She'll punch me in the face. <laughs> Obviously, she's not happy with anything right now. God said, just say it. 
I looked, I said, ma'am, I said, you know, we're so happy you're here today. I said, I just want to tell you something. I said, it's not going to be this way forever. I said, and you don't think anybody's heard you, but, but God has heard you. You just have to give him time to do what he wants to do. And I watched this face that was full of anger just kind of start to break. And her lips started to quiver and she started to cry. So she just walked away. She didn't even say thank you. I don't know what that meant to her. That, I don't know what I, all I know is this. God told me, deliver this, say this, leave it there. That's all I got. I have no idea how that will impact your life. This is what I'm believing in my heart. Someday, she's going to walk through these doors with her family and say, Pastor, because you said that, I'm here, and this is the effing greatest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> I'll high-five her. Kevin or Paul will bleep her. I will do whatever we got to do. I can tell you this, guys. When you open yourself to be used by the Holy Spirit, your Christianity is not dull. The greatest thing that you give God is not your intellect. It's not your ability. It's not all the, the ways that God... You know what the greatest thing you can offer Him? Your yes. Just say yes. Say, God, use me. We know this. The Holy Spirit brings us revelation. Now, when I say revelation, I'm not talking about the big scary book at the end of the Bible. I'm talking about what God's heart is, his word. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this. It's written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind can, has conceived are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except for his own spirit within them? In the same way, no one can know the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. The last thing is this. The Holy Spirit empowers us. Have you ever thought about this? You and I are still worshiping a God, talking about men and women that lived over 2,000 years ago. If you talk about the Old Testament, you're talking about some of these four and 6,000 years old. 2,000 years ago, God grabbed a circle of unqualified incredibly common men and women. And those men and women in a little no-name place in the Middle East changed the world. They didn't have social media. They didn't have the internet. They had scrolls. They didn't have a printing press. They didn't even know what North America looked like. And we're here today sitting thousands of miles away from where this started still talking about them. Why? They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen. It was beyond their ability. Acts 1.8 says this. These are the words of Jesus. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are part of the end of that. We're part of the ends of the earth. You're here today because these disciples said yes, and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. You want to change the world, you need to be filled with the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us, that propels us to do what God asks us to do. Bow your heads real quick. Sorry I went a little long today. I was crying and blubbering. Rough morning. I want to leave you with one thing. I just want you to talk to the Holy Spirit. God put two things in my heart. The first thing is this. You might be here today and your, your faith may be stale. You may need that second face, whatever that is. Today, you have an opportunity to be yielded to the Holy Spirit. Ask him, say, Lord, do you want to fill me with the Spirit today? 
If his, if his answer is a yes, come up and get prayer and you'll be filled with the Spirit today. Second is this. You may be here and you may feel like your family is under spiritual attack. At Trinity Community Church, we are not afraid to push back against the darkness. And we will stand with you, we will fight with you, and we will pray for you. If your family needs prayer, you come up today and we'll pray for you. I just want you to take a minute as Pastor Trish comes. Ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.